if you put so much stock and value on what your body looks like and don't ever develop who you are as a person and your character, then when you no longer have that body or your body changes, like what's left? Hello, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where every week you'll hear conversations with experts who are knee deep in making the world a better place. Here we're sharing the stories of people who are tackling some of the world's most difficult problems, and they still think a bright future is possible for us all. Now, we need to see what they see, and that's why I'm here. I found that thought leaders that we talk to at the on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, well, their insights give us all steps that we can take to thrive with more purpose, connection, and progress in our lives. So, hello, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich founder of Ever Widening Circles, what we call the nicest place on the internet. There we've been telling the stories of people who are changing the future for us all since 2014. And I'm also a business owner of 30 years. So I've got some practical experience or a lot of practical experience on what we're calling the opening of a gratitude economy. Two people I'm talking to today are certainly champions of this new era that's opening, where we're going to support the people who we're really, really grateful for in our lives. Business people, people that can educate us. And today I'd like to welcome Kaylee Kornhauser and Marley Blonsky. We've recently done an article about their work at Everwinding Circles. So if you pop either of their names in the search box at Everwinding Circles, you'll find them there. Kaylee and Marley, they're Seattle and Corvallis, Oregon-based bike adventurers. And they self-identify as fat women working to make the cycling industry more inclusive, which is something that is happening all over the world. The more we embrace our diversity and the perspectives that we bring to activity and business and everything else, the better world it's going to be for us all. So thank you so much for joining me, Kaylee and Marley. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. This is so exciting. Well, I think that we are going to take people on a journey that will feel freeing for many, very freeing for many. Because we do all live with these notions about, you know, short people can't be basketball players and fat people can't ride bikes and whatever. (laughs) Girls can't be rocket scientists. I don't know. I I mean, I'm of a different generation than you, but there were only six girls in my dental school class. So I spent most of my early years, my husband's also a dentist, living with this conversation when people would meet us. So you're Dr. Chuck's dental assistant? So here we are in this world where we're trying to change that. And you guys are working in a corner that I'm sure seems sort of unexpected in one way, but then it makes total sense to us all once we think about it. So blow the doors open on this for us. (laughs) Either one of you, talk to us about what you're doing in the world, what you're seeing and, and how we can connect. Sure, I can start. So this is Marley. You'll hear that me and Kaylee kind of sound alike. So it's kind of funny because Kaylee and I didn't set out to do this. We both just started riding our bikes because it's something we love to do. We were commuting because it made sense. We started bike adventuring. And what that means is going on camping trips, going on long distance cycling adventures. So, and I'll let Kaylee tell her own story about this, but she rode across Alaska on her bicycle. I've ridden through Montana. 
So we didn't set out to be advocates for people in larger bodies, but we realized that we had a story to tell and that we resonated with people and that biking is an amazing activity for people who live in larger bodies. And once we started going public with our story, people started asking us questions of what clothes do you wear? What bicycle works for you? And it was like, oh, okay, this is an area that needs advocacy and it needs work. And it kind of progressed naturally from there. And so we realized that there's a lot of work to be done in this space, both culturally and within the bike industry of getting stronger bikes and bigger clothes. And so it's kind of snowballed from there. And that's what we're working on now. Lovely. How about you, Kaylee? Let me give us your take on it. Yeah, I think just to add on to what Marley's already offered, there's also some cultural shifts that have to happen in sport, not just cycling, but all sport to kind of reimagine what a cyclist or an athlete looks like and think that for a long time, we've had a vision of someone who's maybe uh, thinner, maybe taller, whatever it might be that does certain activities. And and we're trying to kind of say, you know what, we're cyclists in these bodies, not just people who are smaller than us get to claim that title. And I think that work connects with people of all sizes, because I think, you know, the reality is we all have a body and we all have a relationship to our body. And sometimes that's a really positive relationship, but often a lot of us have dealt with negative feelings towards our bodies. So I think we've been surprised by how much of the cultural work that we're doing in cycling has resonated with people of all sizes and abilities in biking. So not just people in larger bodies who are maybe getting started, but bike racers, professional athletes who are saying to us, like, I needed to hear this message for whatever reason. And that connected to me. So that's been probably the most surprising part of the work. Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons why I wanted to chat with you guys, because I see your work from the 10,000 foot look. This is the thing is that we need voices from every direction to just make things improve in this world. We're never the problems we have today are never going to be solved by the way we thought when when we created them. I forget who, what wonderful, smart, smarter person than I said that, but that could never more be true than in recreational activities, like things that can leave us soaring, make our hearts take flight. And certainly that's what sport does for all of us from the fourth grader, you know, the four-year-old who runs his first uh, soccer ball down the field with joy to, gosh, the uh, marathon runner that I, that I've written about who's 87 years old. We do these things as human beings because we like to move our bodies. Exactly. Yeah. Tell me about the joyful movement, the joy of movement. Yeah. This is a concept that I know I first heard about through the Health at Every Size movement and organization that talks also about intuitive eating. But one part of their organization is refocusing our energy towards sport and movement in a way that's joyful. And for me, I mean, it was probably one of the more revolutionary concepts I've come across in in recent times, the idea that we don't move our bodies as a punishment or as a subtraction of what we ate that day or because we're supposed to do it in a certain way. And we don't choose activities that hurt us or make us feel sad. We choose ways to move our body that bring us joy and feel good. 
And what's interesting is I learned about the concept of joyful movement when I was already riding a bike. So I'd been riding bikes for years, but I'd been doing it and I still liked it, but I was doing it from an approach of, of trying to change my body or punish myself or achieve some goal. And now I, I mean, I approach cycling entirely differently now in a way that I think Marley and I've talked a lot about, like, in a way that's more sustainable than from a more punishing approach, because joy is something that we want to return to. And so I feel like as soon as I started approaching cycling through joy, it meant that I could do it for way longer and, and not get sick of it. And, and I think if we talk more about the joy of moving our bodies, we invite way more people in than if we talk about other forms of or other motivations for moving. So I know Marley and I both really connect to that and we try to kind of spread that around to folks like that you can do this differently. And I know what we mentioned earlier, like racers or professional athletes connecting. And one of the things they connect with is that idea of joyful movement, because for a lot of folks who do sport professionally, joy has not always been the motivator. So so that concept of doing things because they're fun and feel good <laughs> can be really like a perspective altering. So how about you, Marley? What are your thoughts on that? Oh man, Kaylee sums it up so well. I relate to a story. I recently was in Kansas for a big bike race and I'm not a racer at all. And so I was there for a fun ride. They had hundred mile, a 200 mile, 350 mile distance, <laughs> which I didn't do any of those. I did the fun ride at the 50 mile distance <laughs> and everybody kept asking me, you know, are you going to do the hundred mile race next year? And it was like, no, I'm going to do the 50 mile again, because that's what's joyful to me. And it's like, yeah, my body is capable of racing. My body is capable of doing longer distance. But to me, I choose what's joyful to me. And, you know, it's funny. I led a pre-ride that was like a no drop inclusive. We can talk more about that if you want to, of what that means. But I had professional racers come to my ride and tell me this was the first time I've actually experienced an actual inclusive no drop ride. And these are people who do this for a living. You're going to have to tell us what an inclusive no drop ride is. (laughs) Sure, sure. So basically group rides can go at all sorts of different speeds and they often say that they are inclusive and no drop, which means that nobody gets left behind, but more often than not, you get left behind if you can't keep up. And when I lead rides, I'm very, very intentional of if I say it's no drop, nobody gets left behind. I have somebody at the back who is intentionally at the back. When we go up a hill, we regroup and I make sure that the people at the back get a chance to catch their breath before we keep going. And yeah, sometimes that means that we are going at the pace of the slowest person, but that's how it works because that's how I started cycling and that's what got me into doing what I love to do. So anyway, long story short, I had these professional bike racers say that was so fun. I've never been on a ride like that, that was inclusive and felt good like that. And that was just like mind blowing to me as these people who do this for a living telling me they're having fun. Like, shouldn't (laughs) you be having fun every day? I don't know. (laughs) You know, you're talking about something that I've talked to some other thought leaders about is this really being conscious of our intention Mm -hmm. before we do something. In my work, I talk a lot about people going to the internet with intention because my work's around reimagining our online lives so that we don't have this wacky internet that we have this wacky way that it just it destroys our worldview. So what I'm hearing you say, I think, is that you can have a professional 
racer, or for instance, I have a great story, just like you're talking about, about a friend who went on this bike ride with a woman that, a friend who does it very, very, with very, a lot of intensity. And at first the friend kept with her and they were chatting and it was a great bike ride, but then the friend just couldn't control herself. She just kept pushing and pushing and pretty soon Mary was riding by herself. And it's that intention, the intention we set before we go on a camping trip, the expectations that we set before we go on a vacation or go out to a restaurant or go for a bike ride. I think that you're pointing to that. Absolutely. Exactly. It takes a lot of work too. I want to acknowledge that because I think the default for some of us, myself included, is to fall into that more punishing or achievement motivation. So I have to consciously say, to myself, this is for fun, like do this in a way that feels good. (laughs) And the same is true about how we view our bodies too. And so like saying to myself that I feel good about my body, that I'm proud of what it does, or that I feel neutral about it, like that's something I have to do intentionally. And so it does take work. I think maybe people look at someone like Marley or myself that is open about our body size and open about our experiences biking and think that it comes easily, but it's work every day to do that. So folks should know that because if they feel like they're having to work at it, I'm feeling that way too. Yeah. It's that level of honesty about where we're at too. I mean, my friend Mary's Mary's comment was, I would have felt better if I'd set an expectation with this gal so that she could go on her 30 mile bike ride in the morning. That's so intense. And then our ride together could just be about our friendship. Yep. And that's something that Kaylee and I are very, very intentional about when we lead rides or when we plan trips is that we have a, an expectations discussion at the beginning of this is how it's going to work. We're going to stick together and we try and outline that before people even get to the ride so they know what to expect. And that's part of the training that we do for brands and for groups about how to be more inclusive because that makes people feel more welcome in even joining. If they know that when they show up, it's going to be that way. It's not a surprise to anyone. But I think you're totally right in, you know, the whole internet intention as well. Like, We are very, very, I don't know. I feel like we exist in this strange little corner of the internet where it's been like, overwhelmingly positive, but I think it's because that's the energy we put out into the world. And that's the intention we put out. Like when our film came out, I don't know if we want to talk about that, but we trained the Shimano social media team on like how to deal with trolls and like how to deal with negative comments. And we didn't get any, I don't know how it happened, but it's been phenomenal. Like I got goosebumps. I have goosebumps. Yeah. Okay. So please mention that because that is the article that we wrote about you was about that Shimano video, which I really encourage people to go and look at that article on Everwinding Circles. But tell us a little bit about that because this is all about expectations too, right? Is that you set the Shimano team up for success, right? Because you said, look, you could get this and we've experienced that. And when we see that, we do this. I mean, you tell us all about that. Yeah, we so we had the opportunity in the summer of 2020 to film the short documentary called All Bodies on Bikes with Shimano, which is a company that makes bike parts, among other things. Yeah. And we, I think it's interesting, this conversation's got me thinking about communicating expectations and intentions, because from the beginning with the film crew, which were all thin men who usually film like extreme athletes, we we sat down with them and communicated to them with their invitation what we were hoping to get out of the film, the story we were hoping to tell. And 
what intentions we were bringing. So that I think set us up for success. We got the chance to then film a bike ride from my house in Corvallis, Oregon to the coast and over that ride and a group ride that we did in Seattle, tell our stories about what it was like to be fat women who ride bikes and the community that we're working on building online and then in the real world. And then after the film was shot and we got the chance to to be around for the editing process. The same thing continued to happen. Constant communication amongst the film crew and Shimano about what we all were hoping to see from start to finish, really. So then by the time we got ready to release it, there were nerves, of course, because here we are sharing a pretty vulnerable, you know, short film about ourselves and a topic that can be quite tense for people. But I had no qualms, and I would hope Marley would share in this, no qualms about what was in the film or the intention we put into it. Everything was just as we had wanted it to be and sharing the story the way we wanted to. And I think people really like connected with that because we put our intention into it and then people responded back with that same intention, which is just like beautiful. We feel very privileged to have that response because of course, whenever you're talking about body size online, you might invite some negative attention, but I mean, overwhelmingly we did not. And we just got to hear from such wonderful people all over the world. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of funny because with our training with the Shimano team, it was a interesting discussion because it was like somebody comes in and says, Hey, look at those fat women riding bikes. Are we okay with that? Well, yeah, because that's how we self-identify. And so it was a, it was an interesting balancing act of what are we okay with? What aren't we okay with? And in the end, it ended up being a non-issue. Like there were some negative comments, but then the community stepped up and said, hey, like, why are you saying this? Like, you need to examine your own insecurities because look at the joy these women are bringing. Like, look at how like much they're bringing to the community. Like, go away, basically. <laughs> so yeah, it's been phenomenal. I don't think this issue is very far from anyone's heart. You're making, my mind is racing. There's so many things we have to talk about. In a minute, we're going to talk about that webpage where you talk about the language. So don't let me forget that. Because you just mentioned, you know, what was okay, what was not okay to say. And there, and there, there you make some beautiful points there, which I would, would love to. But what I'm thinking of right this moment is that maybe you didn't get a lot of pushback or, or any like craziness. Because I'm trying to think of somebody I know who has the perfect body, who thinks they have the perfect body. If they do think that, they constantly, they, they have to throw so much energy to keep it that way that they still wouldn't identify as having the perfect body because they know it could so so easily slip away whatever their notion of perfect is. I'm just saying. I think you've got a message that probably resonates with every human being on the planet on some level because society and the attention economy that's been our measuring stick for goodness and what's valuable in this world for 100 years doesn't match the reality that we all live, yeah. right? We can never achieve that airbrushed person on the front of Vogue, Vogue magazine or People magazine. We could never do it yeah. because it isn't a real person for one thing. It's <laughs> the photo is shopped so bad. So maybe that's why, maybe I've really never thought about it, but we're talking about weight and size right now, but but the same is true of people that are shorter than they want to be mm-hmm. and wear platform shoes. 
maybe taller than, oh gosh. So my world, my husband's uh, was a professional basketball player. So we had a daughter, I told you about this in our pre-interview, that was going to be six foot. I could tell when she was three, she was definitely going to be six feet tall and a really robust woman. And I started telling her at that age that the bigger you get, the more power you'll have in what is still a women, a man's world out there. So just be proud. And when we go to basketball tournaments, I have to tell you guys, I would see her standing tall, big shoulders back. And I would see so many girls, six foot two, who were all hunched over. And and so it's the same problem. It's mm-hmm. the same mindset that you're talking about. I'm not in the body that the world says I'm supposed to be in. Yeah. So I'm very proud of your work for that because I think you're freeing more than just the fat community, which I happen to be a part of as well. You're freeing people of just this notion that there is some perfect body. I hope so. You know, I hope at the end of the day, people realize that like, there's so much more to them than their body. Like none of us are given our bodies tomorrow. Like God knows what could happen and we could be in a horrific accident. And what really matters is what's inside, what our values are, our personality. Like this is just our vessel. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. And you, you mentioned like the time people put into worrying about how they look or modifying and, you know, folks should do what makes them comfortable and feel good, of course. But in terms of being just consumed by thoughts about your body. I know for me, at my worst, those thoughts were limiting my ability to be a good partner or a good friend or do the work I wanted to do. I was so caught up with the notion of making myself smaller. It's like you forget what the purpose of life (laughs) is not to be smaller. (laughs) And I think if you're able to, and it takes a lot of work, move past that notion that we've been told if you know hopefully people have parents like like you who tell them to take more space and be proud of it but for a lot of us that's not the message we have received from society or our families or whatever so it's hard to move past it but if you can it frees up a lot of time to do much more valuable things This is such a fundamental sort of funny realization that we've just stumbled upon sharing, you know? This is, it's all about what we give our attention to grows, expands. Mm -hmm. And if we give our attention to just focus, focus, focus on our body type, I should think as a friend or a family member, that would get pretty boring. I've been there. I've definitely been there. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I was highly annoying to all my family and friends. I mean, we all who would qualify as bigger than what's ideal have a time in our lives when we have so many stories. Absolutely. Yeah. So many stories. I mean, I don't want to gloss over the fact that being in a larger body does have very real challenges that come with it. And it's not sunshine and roses every day, you know, whether that's getting on an airplane and having to ask for a seatbelt extender or going to the doctor or finding clothes or in our world, like, I'm trying to find knee pads to go mountain biking right now and can't find any. Like there's some real difficulties that come with being in a larger body. And so that's part of the work that we're doing is trying to alleviate those. But that doesn't mean I need to shrink my body. (laughs) It's the world needs to accommodate everyone a lot better. Oh, that is so true. You guys told some stories yesterday. I do want to have time for stories, but before we, because you guys have some great stories, let us go over. We're going to take a little halftime break, but let's go over on your website. I've got it up over here. Oh, the glossary of words to both use and not use. I think this is really perspective shaping because even though I'm with you, uh, this was a surprising list to me. 
And then I got comfy with it and I said, hey, yeah, this sounds great. (laughs) Okay, so you guys both identify as fat women and you wouldn't have a problem in the world with other people identifying you as that. Right. Fat is not a bad word. It's like short, tall, skinny. Why would the opposite have a better connotation than, than, right? So you have a, a little section that says, please don't use overweight. Oh, I love your thoughts on the word overweight. Yeah, it's almost all of these thoughts are not ours originally and can be attributed to the hard work of lots of other folks that came before us in the fat community. But the word overweight or underweight similarly insinuates that there's a correct weight that, especially if you're prescribing that term to another person, that you think is the right weight for that other person to be, that they're over or under the weight you imagine they should be. And we use it to talk about ourselves a lot because it's perhaps we feel it's a more neutral term than fat, which Marley and I recognize, and a lot of folks do, that that word, although it is a neutral descriptor, has been associated with a lot of negative words before. And so using it to describe other people, we don't do unless we're invited to. We stick to the words like a bigger person, person in a larger body, to to describe someone's body rather than calling them by the term fat because they haven't identified themselves that way. This is a huge point, just a, a nuance that I saw us all struggling with a summer ago when we were just starting into the George Floyd world and people didn't know what to call each other and what was okay with one person and Mm. all that. I saw saw people really struggling with that. So your recommendation is that, I like this, larger body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would feel no, nothing funny at all if somebody referred to that for me that way. I think I would feel funny about referring to me as a fat woman. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I'm not quite with you. I, I mean, I, I want totally. to, be, but. And we, we've I, gotten that feedback a lot and that's totally fine. You know, I think it's really important to honor the language that somebody chooses for themselves. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is re- really huge. Okay. I love your explanation of the word obesity, the Latin root and all that. Yeah. So I didn't know that. And there's a book called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat. We can maybe put that in the show notes. And it was mind blowing for me. There's a writer um, named Aubrey Gordon. And she is phenomenal. And I had no idea the pathology of the word, like, what is it? The etymology of the word obesity. And when I read it, I was like, I knew I always hated this word. This solidifies it. Because like to have eaten oneself fat, like. Yes, that is the the literal translation. The word obese comes from the Latin word of obesus which literally means having eaten oneself's fat, which inherently blames fat people for their own bodies. Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) And that that brings up something I want to just take a little detour in because, you know, I'm in the the world of healthcare and I have my own doctor who wants me to lose 40 pounds desperately. And she's got the perfect body weight, whatever that is. (laughs) She's great. She's absolutely great. But she really says, Dr. Linda, you got to drop 40 every time I go in. Okay. We got to talk about BMI because this is, we come from huge people in my family. My husband's side are enormous, tall, robust people. There's no way anyone in my, my gene pool with my husband's combination is ever going to meet the BMI. Talk to us about your take on the BMI, <laughs> the body mass index for anybody who hasn't been tortured by that term. Yeah, I guess I can go first. And then Kaylee, if you want to pop in. So according to the BMI, I've been morbidly obese since I was like five. 
and I haven't died yet. <laughs> so no, I, I hate it. I think it's really limiting because it doesn't take into account if you're muscular or your genetics or so many different factors. And, you know, once you start learning about the history of the BMI, you learn that it's racist and it was never intended to be applied across an entire population. And I just remember being a kid and seeing the growth charts and like seeing that I was always in the morbidly obese category and feeling so limited by it and just feeling like, oh, I can't join the military if I want to, or I can't do this, or I can't do that because I'm in this obese category. And truly, that's probably the only thing in my life that I've ever felt limited or like categorized by. And it's just, it's so infuriating because it's just this arbitrary number that doesn't take into account anything. Well, we're going to talk about genetics in just a minute, because that's what, that's what I always tend to talk to people about. But Kaylee, tell me your experience with this, the shame involved in BMI. Yeah, I can remember like at a young age being in the doctor's office, looking at that chart being obese or morbidly obese. And then in gym class, we would also use the BMI. I don't know if that's common elsewhere, but in like the presidential fitness testing. So then it's like brought into school. I can't remember a time where I didn't fall above what was like the correct weight and that I wasn't stressed about being in the wrong category. And so I think it does like shape, I mean, it shapes how our children view themselves. Like it is detrimental. It's also a scale created by a mathematician, someone not in the health care industry at all. So it, it isn't even relevant. But as you've pointed out, like our bodies are more complicated than what we eat and what we do exercise wise. And and scales like the BMI yeah. tend to place blame because we blame fat people for being fat because fat is wrong in our worldview. And so they must have done something wrong to become that way. And so that scale, yeah, I have nothing good to say about it. I hope it does, you know, go out, <laughs> out the window. And the term obesity is so couched in the BMI because it's the word used to indicate someone's above whatever the, the weight they're supposed to be, that that word, even more than overweight, obesity, some people in the fat community do call it a slur because it's so triggering for people to be called that or to hear that word or the obesity epidemic, these things that, that we kind of hear all the time that we do really encourage people. I know it's hard to stop using the term overweight, but if you can really try to remove the word obesity from your, you know, from your vocabulary, because it's affecting yourself, it's affecting your family and and your community. Of course, coming from the generation my husband and I came from where really it was, oh, very not good. If someone says, well, she's a big girl, that was like the biggest hit you could ever give somebody. And then Chuck's family, so my husband's family, so being so big. So we saw our daughters born with this tendencies to be just big people all the way around. And then our son came along. He's the biggest example of what's way wrong with the BMI. He is 6'5". He's got that basketball player gene. He plays college basketball, but he is also a weightlifter. Oh my gosh. He just, he just gets such a thrill, not for the look of his body, but he just loves that. And he's built right for it. He just was made to look like that. He has got to have less than 5% body fat. Now he weighs 230 pounds and the BMI would have him weigh under 193. Now, I don't know what he would have to do to lose almost 30 pounds, but it would leave this particular human being extremely sick. 
because he's already right on that margin of enough body fat to to keep normal brain function and all that stuff going on. And, you know, we all know examples of, of folks like this who don't fit in these neat categories that mathematicians and the folks that want to simplify things to be able to categorize us for larger worldly endeavors like health insurance and all the reasons why yeah. the BMI is used. So I want to come back. We're going to take a break now. And I'm going to talk about a wonderful um, event that we're planning at Everwinding Circles to bring the community of people like you guys, people who want a better world together at an event in October. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about who we all come from and how we end up being exactly how we are. Do you thrive on learning from and collaborating with others for the good that's in the world and becoming a better version of yourself? both personally and professionally, every day, we have built something just for you. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network. You can be a part of the first networking platform that prioritizes personal and professional growth as we work together to make the world a better place. The Conspiracy of Goodness Network is a vetted platform of entrepreneurs, creatives, and professionals who are committed to making the future brighter for us all. People like you. On the network, you can ask questions and find help with projects, share trusted resources, request and attempt workshops, expand your network of thought leaders, and learn from the experience of others to catalyze your work, interests, and passion projects. This is a place where all of us who are doing something to improve the world, large and small, can flourish. The $35 a month membership fee includes attendance to exclusive monthly happiness hours, where you can hear from amazing speakers and influencers. It includes participation in monthly community challenges that will improve your own life and the world around you. You'll have access to the network's mentor match service to grow exponentially in your insight and decision-making. And you'll get automatic discounts on all of our courses and events. So join us, co-conspirators for goodness around the world. Those who are doing anything they can to make the world a better place are coming together on this network to collaborate, and it is time we find each other. Go to conspiracyofgoodnessnetwork.com for a simple three-step questionnaire to apply to be a member today. Let's connect, collaborate, and change the future. Okay, we're back. So when we left off, we were talking about the many factors that go into who we are. Life experience, genetics, our family upbringing. You tell a wonderful story, Marley. You reminded me of it. I'd heard it before, but please tell that story about the twins that you mentioned on our pre-call. Yeah. So there was a research study. I forget exactly when, but maybe we can find it for the show notes of twins that were adopted out at birth. To and different families, right? To different families and then followed up with throughout their lives. And even at like 30 and 40 years old, their weights basically tracked with each other through like incredibly different upbringings, different geographies. And I think it just shows that I think as Kaylee said earlier, our weight and our body size is dictated by so much more than 
what goes in and what goes out. You know, there's, we are our ancestors as I think we were talking about on our pre-call and that's just like a scientific backing of it. Yeah. This is, this is the conversation that I tend to have. I'm a dentist, but my husband and I have created a dental practice where we have time to talk to people about their whole lives, not just their dental lives. And we have had countless conversations with folks who are feeling bad about their weight or whatever. It's just part of being connected with other human beings and so forth. So one of the things I always find myself saying is, Janine or George, where do your people come from? And you know, a lot of people don't know. They know maybe one generation back, but even one of you yesterday when we were having our pre-call, you mentioned that you come from Eastern European stock and you saw a picture of your grand, a great-grandmother or grandmother and she looked exactly like you. Well, yeah. guess what? That's the way it should be. We are our genes. And if you, I always remind people that if you come from people who, whose bodies evolved in places of great scarcity, you are going to have a keeper gene. That means that you are good at keeping calories because if you hadn't, your lineage would have disappeared, died out a long time ago. Because if you came from scarcity and you couldn't keep calories, no, there was no reproduction of that gene. So tell me about that picture that you saw. Yeah. So this is Marley again. And my stock is Eastern European. Um, and it's a photo from the World's Fair in Hungary in 1896. And it's like my great, great, great grandma, maybe. And she's 12 years old. And we could be twins, you know, just strong and hearty. And we are not going to get blown over by the wind. And we found this picture and I was probably about her age when we found it. But, you know, even now at 35 years old, we look like twins. And I think about it now in the context of my athletic endeavors. And that's probably why I'm able to go bike 60 miles at a go. Obviously I have to refuel as I go, but I have those endurance genes and, you know, I'm not going to starve while I'm out there. It's, it's awesome. My dad, uh, when he was a physician, he took care. He was one of those doctors who took care of your birth to death, delivered your baby, took out your tonsils, met you at the ER when your kid went through the barbed wire fence on the mini bike. And one of the last things he said to me was, Linda, before he died, he said, Linda, you've got the keeper gene for sure. You're going to have to watch your weight, but don't worry too much about it. You were just born in the wrong millennia. <laughs> you would have been great in the ice age. So this is, you know, I, got I think you're great now. Like, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, okay, he was 70 and born in 1929. <laughs> so he had his own ideas about fat and thin, but he was, a, he was a robust person too. And he just knew that there was a sweet spot that people could feel good about living their lives and that food and abundance was something that we should celebrate in our lives because he had lived with so much scarcity. And um, so he was just reminding me that as a doctor, there were things I had to be concerned about, but that I should live my life. And that had I been born in a different time during the ice age, I would have been the bee's knees. <laughs> <laughs> so Marley, tell me about your, you get, do you have family stories about your upbringing that make, make sense in the body that you've got? Is it for me? Or I mean, Kaylee, Kaylee. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, Marley and I have never talked about heritage, but we have very similar heritage, yeah. which is not surprising. I also come from Eastern European Jews and uh, it's interesting. So many of my relatives, older relatives talked about, you know, struggling with their weight. And I, I don't know what their intimate lives were with food and exercise, but I know that it did consume a lot of thought for them in terms of trying to, you know, maybe fight against 
their body's kind of natural inclinations. And yet when I look back at photos, certainly I look like my my family. And I think like that having an Eastern European Jewish family means that a lot of us had family members live through the Holocaust. And I do, I don't know. I mean, I don't have any scientific proof, but it's interesting to think like that maybe our bodies, you know, we know our bodies hold trauma and to be direct descendants of folks who lived through that and who were obviously lacking food and and, and living in immense scarcity, then our bodies maybe, I mean, I'm making, you know, I'm kind of just thinking yeah. off the cuff, no. but it's, it's an interesting thought to think maybe our bodies are very connected to that still in the way yes. that we yes. yeah have the keeper gene. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly always, it's always just felt like this is what my body was going to be. Like, this is what it was going to look like. And whenever I try to fight against that, it's when I feel mentally the worst and physically the worst. And so, yeah, but in the same way, we talk about body size, especially larger body sizes being a negative, but it does for Marley and I, I mean, it has allowed me to stay on my bike longer and go further than most people ever go. In That's another part of my genetic history. So I think it's, you know, it's all wrapped up, but it is helpful to think in this way, because I think if we blame ourselves for our bodies as the outcome of what we do, we're just feeding into that narrative that bigger body equals bad and that you did something wrong personally. Well, you know, in doing some research for this show, I found this incredible little paragraph here. It's on the National Kidney Foundation website. They give a little history about, they say in in evolutionary history of mankind, bodily fat seemed to have served nature's purpose by outfitting us with the built-in mechanism for storing food reserves for times of scarcity. And they go on in this paragraph about um, how that was the aesthetic value and the, the cultural significance of being thin is something very, very recent. They mention in here that they they found uh, 20,000 years ago a little statue of a woman carved who's super curvy and super robust. And that was a symbol of fertility 20 years ago, 20,000 years ago, because yeah. you couldn't reproduce if you were bone thin. I mean, it's still true. <laughs> it's still true, right? It's still true. Yeah. We just are who we are. And that is not to say that that there are some wonderful friends of mine who are built entirely like opposite of Dr. Chuck and I. And mm-hmm. we joke about it. And they come from people who didn't have to deal with scarcity. They have the genes to do other things different than Chuck and I. And when and we when we get together, you know, we each go with our strength. Yep. So that's a part of this ethos that you guys are promoting is that everybody just goes with their strengths and stops pointing at the weaknesses in each other. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. One so, hundred Yeah. And we're not here to say like, oh, everybody needs to be fat. Like we're not yes. saying that at all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're no. just saying, you know, like being fat and being bigger is not bad. And we're not here to disparage anybody in whatever right. body they're in. Like yeah. we're not yeah. saying health is a signifier of good or like that's not what we're here for mm-hmm. at all. So well, we talked about influencers in this field and I and I do want to refer people to a podcast interview I did, oh, maybe no, some some time ago, maybe a few months ago, with a wonderful thought leader named Julia Parsak. Julia has about 154,000 followers on Instagram and she is all about body image. And her big message is unfollow the people who make you feel bad about who you are. That's it. And she celebrates her curves and and she has a story with an eating disorder and that whole childhood trauma around being built in a way that other people 
would judge. And it's a giant positive boost, that interview. So I recommend um, you guys, people check out that interview because if you, if you love what Kaylee and Marley are doing, you're going to love Julia Parsec as well. Now we got to leave time here to talk about how you guys are finding that this is a topic that is resonating with people. You have an amazing Facebook group now. Just started in April and you already have 1,600 people. Tell me what's gone all going on over there. Yeah, so we've got a Facebook group called All Bodies on Bikes, also an Instagram group that or an Instagram page. Same name, All Bodies on Bikes. It's the same name as the film. And it is just a beacon of positivity. Folks are sharing their adventures on bicycles. They're asking for recommendations. And people of all sizes and shapes and ages and ability levels are talking about their adventures on bicycles. And it is just such an awesome community. So I'd encourage anyone who is in a body and (laughs) on a bicycle or wants to get on a bicycle to join. You know, people are, we're leading rides. Anytime Kaylee and I travel, we're trying to lead group rides, which is something that has really been missing from the community and just trying to, you know, create community around differently shaped people on bicycles. You know, I don't know why that should surprise us all. And everybody's making such a big, a big deal of it. It, it, There's so many things in life that seem obvious after people like you have come along. It's certainly taken me a while to come to terms with this is new information for a lot of folks. It does feel like just natural. (laughs) Yeah, and it's something we will all face. I I was telling you guys about another great article at Everwinding Circles that refers to the same genre. It's about a woman who is raising three boys in Australia, very athletic, just major everything they did was athletic and they were on a vacation in Bali and she felt she leaned up against a third floor railing in a hotel that broke and she broke her back and was paralyzed for the rest of her life. And there's a wonderful movie about it before we end, or we'll put it in the show notes. It's a great article, but it's all about her struggle with body image and not necessarily what she looked like, but what she could do or not do with her body ever again. And I think you pointed out, one of you did yesterday that we all got to get over it because we're not always, this vessel that we're in is never going to stay the same. It just doesn't do that. And then there's always these possibilities that we get arthritis or whatever that might change what we can do with our bodies. So talk to me about that. Yeah. So, you know, I think as athletes, we take on risk and I guess this is where I'm coming from is like the risk part where I could be in a bike crash. I had a good friend just get into a horrific bike crash and is potentially paralyzed now. And so now her life looks incredibly different than it did last week. And so I think it goes back to something I was saying earlier, where if you put so much stock and value on what your body looks like and don't ever develop who you are as a person and your character, then when you no longer have that body or your body changes, like what's left. So that's really how I try and approach life is developing the inside. So that way, if I gain weight or I lose weight or who knows, I color my hair or whatever, (laughs) my inside is still what counts. Yeah. I'd I'd add on, like, I think people I'd count myself in this group tend to associate a type of movement with their identity as well. I am a cyclist. I'm a, you know, I ride bikes. I do these long distance bike rides. Well, what happens if my body no longer is able to do that or if it no longer brings me joy? And I think Marley said in an interview we did a while back, you know, yeah, we're doing this for now. Like, I don't know, in five years, maybe we don't like riding bikes anymore. Like, we don't know, you know, (laughs) and and it was kind of funny because we built this whole thing and 
an identity and and this public persona around riding bikes but to be true to ourselves is to say like you know we might feel uncomfortable on a bike at some point we might just not like it anymore maybe another form of movement brings us joy marley and i have both been weightlifters we really like that maybe that's what brings us joy at a different point in time i really like swimming i'm trying to get back into that you know and so not connecting to one form of movement, but connecting to the joy of movement, then that is part of you rather than saying, I'm a bike rider, you know, and if I can't bike ride my bike anymore, because I, you know, an accident or aging or whatever it might be, then I've lost a piece of myself, like that makes us puts us in dangerous territory. So I think, yeah, it just connects to what Marley said about building who we are on the inside and like practicing joy. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends who are professional cyclists and whether they're going through injuries or mental health struggles and having to take time away from the bike, seeing their struggles firsthand of finding their identity off the bike is really relevatory. And so it's a delicate balance. And I myself have had injuries where, you know, I've broken my foot or had surgery and I do have to take time away from the bike. And it's like, who am I right now? Like, do I have friends outside of the bike world that I can connect with? Like, are there people willing to hang out with me and not go on a bike ride? It's really an interesting world to live in right now. Well, and I think the pandemic has given us some gifts to that light, right? Because we all, it was a screeching halt to everything that we, and not one of us escaped it. There was no one too rich or too powerful. (laughs) All of us level the playing field on what we prioritized, what we thought was important, what we were able to do or not do together with others, all the stuff. And I I think that what you just said is very relevant to this mindset that I I like to say it's like, if our life was a garage, I don't know what your garage looks like, but if someone just picked up our garage and shook it, everything fell out on the concrete and it was all there in the light of day, everything had been shoved back in the corners and whatever. And now we get to decide what we put back in that. We can let a lot of stuff go. Can consciously put it on the curb or repurpose it for somebody else or whatever. But we can decide what we take back into our garage and we can decide how important it is. And if it's so important that we put it way in the back where we can't reach it, does it really need to be in there? I think that these are the kind of notions that you guys are informing. You're helping us. And I I love that this interview came at this time because I think people are starting to really question whether they want to take up these old notions. Yeah. I feel conflicted that I am finding so much joy out of the pandemic because so many people suffered so much loss. But for me, honestly, COVID has been such a blessing. Like I just quit my job because similarly, I shook out my life and said, can I see myself going back to the office and toiling away for this company that doesn't fulfill me? And so it's gone. Some of my friendships and relationships I've outgrown, they're gone. And I'm focusing on what brings me joy. And it's been awesome. Like similar to what you were saying yesterday, I just have this smile on my face all the time. And I feel like I'm glowing. It's there's so much possibility now. It's it's really, really exciting. I think you're I think probably Kaylee has something to say towards that too. I yeah. I have been feeling this interesting thing right now. It's not quite as, I'll put a positive spin. Like I got to ride my bike so much and that was the way I could connect with people during COVID. And now, you know, COVID's not over, but I'm able to travel a bit more to visit family and, and I've been off my bike a lot. And I have been struggling with this idea of, Am I a cyclist if I didn't go on a real bike ride for the last month? Like, am I still a biker? And 
And I, my had my therapist told me yesterday, you know, you had wanted to reconnect with socially and with family for 15 months. And now you got to do that. And now you're sad that you didn't get to bike, you know, and so <laughs> I think learning this is a period of transition for everyone and learning that there's room for everything you love in your garage, but how are you going to organize it? <laughs> it's probably the metaphor. It's you know? so true. And what can't, and you know, one of the things I learned way late in life, I wish I'd learned it earlier, is that every time you decide what you want, you have to decide what you're willing to give up to get it. Because there is so only so much limited time. Yeah. And we do have only so much bandwidth for what we're interested in or what we can dive into and really celebrate with joy. So I really appreciate you guys coming and doing just what I thought this conversation would do, sort of blasting open the doors of possibility for us all on how we think about ourselves and how we think about what's possible and how we interact with each other. I mean, we covered a lot of territory today. It's just lovely. I always like to end our interviews with a question. I've got two. So one is, I'm sure you guys see a vision of possibility out there for us all, a future for us all. If we only knew what, like if we all had a better perspective on something, or if we all only knew something that you guys know, what would it be that would blow open the doors on possibility for us all? Mine is very bike specific, but (laughs) that most car trips in this country are three miles or less. So if you can find a way to convert that to a bicycle, whether that is putting a rack on your bike and going to the grocery store. Like if you think about when you go to the grocery store, it's probably less than a mile or two away. Like you could bring movement to your life. You could reduce your carbon emissions and potentially discover a whole new thing that you like. So this isn't something I talk about often, but I'm a really big proponent of active transportation. And so, you know, I would love to talk to folks more about how to incorporate the bicycle more into their everyday life. So that's what I would really encourage folks to do is think about like, maybe how could I take my kids to school on a bike or how do I grocery shop on a bike? Like, yeah, me and Kaylee are doing 60 mile, hundred mile trips, but you don't have to do that. Like start small. Oh, that is just so lovely. How about you, Kaylee? I feel like I'm beating the same drum, but (laughs) I think if we all approach not just movement, but every aspect of our life with joy and think about what brings us joy and prioritizing joy. Maybe it's the hedonist in me, but if I think about my life and approach and prioritize on what brings me happiness and joy, I I feel like a more grounded and fulfilled human, not just in movement, but also in my work and my relationships. And I think for me, that's just been such a transformation in my paradigm. So I know we've talked about joy a million times over now, but (laughs) I do really think that it's, it's a, it can speak to a lot of people. Yeah. And that's the thread, the yeah. thread of, of wonder that we need to have in our lives. So my last question is, where can people connect and, and continue this journey past this podcast with your, your insights and your work? Yeah, we've got the Facebook page that Marley mentioned, All Bodies on Bikes, and then the Instagram page. But if you are not a social media person, we also have our websites, both our personal websites and we're working on finalizing our All Bodies on Bikes website. That's the top of my to-do list. But we also always are happy to share our personal emails. Maybe the best place is to do that in the show notes. That's what we'll do. Than out loud because we've got some long names. But <laughs> okay. um, and people can reach out with questions. We love to connect with people one-on-one. 
All right. Well, that is, and, and you'll find even more because they're going to send us a list of all kinds of places. So you can find everything that we've talked about today, any references we made to books or what have you and, and others and the podcast I referred to and so forth. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. You can find everything in the show notes that we referred to. And remember to check out the Conspiracy of Goodness Summit in October, when we're going to bring together people that are shining a light on a whole new future for us all, where we can all live with meaning and purpose, just as Marley and Kaylee are now. And as always, dive into ever-widening circles. The app for that, it's like the antidote to the daily news in the palm of your hand, and it will give you no end to joy yourself. So I hope all these connections to goodness and progress carry you through the rest of the week. We'll see you next week. Start looking for joy and wonder in every place that you go. And we'll thank these two for bringing us a little further along on our journey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.